Hope you guys all had a great week. We had some exciting news in the Worthington household. It might say it on Facebook, but we found out we're having a girl. So we're very excited about that. So I'll try to figure out you girls. <laughs> I'll try to figure out you girls by raising one. That'll be very interesting. Anyways, hope you guys are doing well. Um, man, that was really cool to sit back, and I love that new song, and we're going to keep singing that, and I know we're going to kill it at Exposure. We're going to keep singing that over and over again, and that's the heart of this ministry is that we understand that God is faithful, God is true, and he is with us always, constantly. And Anyway, so we started a story last week, and we're just going to jump right in tonight. We started a story last week, if you were here, um, and what it was was we're in this series called How to Wreck Your Life. And we've been in it for a few weeks now, five weeks, and uh, we started this, seri- or this uh, story last week that kind of changed everything from the first four weeks. The first four weeks were the things that could wreck your life like bad, things that could wreck your life like have a negative, like destroy your life. But last week we looked at an area of your life wrecking your life that's actually the best thing that could happen to you. And we looked at this guy named Saul who's on this road to this place called Damascus. And Jesus comes in and just totally wrecks his life. Like he's riding on a horse or donkey, whatever, and literally he gets knocked off the horse. Light comes shining from heaven, and God's voice says, Saul, wake up. You're doing things wrong. And he put him on this path that he was walking on. He he took him off that and put him on a new path. And I told a story about my first first car wreck with an old Asian lady. And um, she's awesome, and we love her still this week. But... um, how every time I drive by, Sunset and Stephanie is where my wreck happened, right by the Gallery Mall. Every time I even come close, every time I'm around it, every time there's the same looking intersection, I'm always thinking about that wreck. And I find it's the same for Paul. I feel like Paul, man, every single time he walked by the road to Damascus, every time he thought about it, every time he thought, man, let's take a walk to Damascus and go on the same road, and he goes, okay, this is about the spot. Just like I do when I'm driving on the road, I'm like, hey, Sunset and Stephanie, right across from Target, this is it. This is the spot where Jesus Christ wrecked my life and is the best thing that could ever happen. And so this week, we're just going to continue the story. So if you have your Bible, and hopefully you do, because we, we, we came up with a really catchy song last week, and I hope it inspired you all to bring your Bibles. If not, um, I, I don't know. Open up to Acts chapter 9. If you do have your Bible, we are going to be in the book of Acts chapter 9, and we're just continuing the story. And here's what happened. This dude named Saul is on the road to Damascus. Saul is this really, really high-up Jewish guy who is like the you know, he is, people look at Saul and like, this is the man. He's done all the schooling. He knows everything. And he's on the road to Damascus. And, and his goal, his whole point in going is to kill and arrest Christians. Like he's gone to the state or whatever. And he's gotten like paperwork that says, this is my role here. I'm going to Damascus to arrest Christians because I don't like what they're doing. I don't like this whole Jesus thing. And on his way there, A light shines from heaven, knocks him off whatever he's riding, and God's voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, he doesn't know what's going on. This dude is really high up and really important. All of a sudden, he's blind. He has no idea what's going on. And the guys who are his servants are now having to take him by the hand, blind, to Damascus. And so that's where we ended last week, is this dude, his whole life was wrecked. And so if you have your Bible, we have, this, uh, we have this guy that comes in the story here. His name is Ananias. And Ananias is the other character of the story that we're going to learn about tonight. So we're going to start off in verse 10 of uh, Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bible, it's going to be, uh, look at it. If not, it's on the screen. Um, here's what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. It says this, Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. 
the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. Verse 12 says, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. Right? We're, we're getting this picture. It's kind of easy story to follow. But Lord, he, ex- he exclaimed, Ananias, in verse 13, I've heard many people talk about this terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. We get in this here. Jesus is talking to Ananias. And uh, he says in verse 15, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. I lost my spot. And to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias heard that from God. And so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, this is kind of creepy sounding, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got, I know, gross. And he got up and got baptized. So you, you see this story. There's this guy named Saul. He's blind. And all of a sudden, there's this other guy. And we don't know much about this dude, Ananias. But there's this other guy. And Jesus says, hey, Ananias, wake up. Whatever you're doing, I want you to go to this guy. And I want you to heal him. And I'm going to use this guy in a million ways. I'm going to use this guy to literally change the world. Like we could probably all agree as we read the Bible, Saul who turned into Paul when he got saved and got baptized. And from here, from this story on, he's referred to as Paul. He writes like half the New Testament. This dude literally changed the world. And so this is a pretty big moment for this random guy named Ananias. And so here's the thought tonight. I want to ask three questions tonight. And tonight, the hope is tonight is very practical. Like we are ending this series and we've looked at stuff like lust and lying and insecurity and laziness and how they can wreck your life. And then last week we looked at the best thing that can happen in your life is when Jesus comes in and wrecks it or interrupts it. And so tonight is just like, okay, at the end of these six weeks, man, what are some things that you could put in your pocket and carry with you to school tomorrow? What are some things that you could go and live at your house as soon as you get in the car with your mom or your dad? And so tonight, that's what the hope, and so three questions that we're going to ask. The first question is this, what did Ananias hear? Because this story, it's, it's simple to walk through, but it's kind of a big block of scripture, and there's a lot of like, and Lord said, and Ananias said, okay, what, let's, let's just break it down. What did Ananias hear? You got to picture this guy, Ananias. We don't know what he's doing. He is, a, all we know is there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And so he could be like cooking his food for his family. He could be playing with his son, wrestling with his kids if he had some. He could be out in the backyard gardening. We don't know what this dude was doing, but just imagine whatever, you're, you're sitting in the halls of your school or sitting in your bedroom listening to music, doing homework, and all of a sudden, God says, Ananias, whoa, uh, Okay, just imagine, you're sitting, Tristan is sitting in a room. Tristan, whoa, that's weird. Thunder from heaven, sounds like a voice saying my name. Wherever this was in a vision, however Ananias heard it, he's just doing his thing. He goes, yes, Lord, God's talking to me. I'm excited about this. This is big news. Here I am just doing my thing, gardening, playing with my kids, and God is talking to me. And then he says this, go over to Straight Street. 
specific directions. Go to Maryland Parkway. Go to Windmill Lane. Go over to Straight Street to the guy's house named Judas. And there's this guy there I want you to talk to and I want you to lay hands on. His name is Saul and he's from Tarsus. That is huge news to Ananias. Ananias goes, whoa, 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 whoa. But Lord, I am a Christian. You are telling me to go spend time and put my hands on and pray for and be in the same building, be within 50 yards of a guy named Saul who has authorization to kill me, to arrest me. I mean, you're talking, you're telling me to go talk to Saul. Lord, are you sure about this? Are, you, are we on the same page here? Because I thought you just said Saul of Tarsus. You must have said something else. He says this, go. I don't need your excuses. Go. And so tonight, what did Ananias hear? Ananias heard simply, go. And some of us tonight, as we are here, 6th through 12th grade, maybe a little older, man, we are living all over the place. And they could say there was believers in Henderson, Nevada. There was believers in Las Vegas, Nevada named, insert your name. And just imagine you're chilling and you're doing your thing and all of a sudden God, whether you're reading your Bible or you're praying or God speaks through your speakers in your iPod, says, hey, I want you to go. I want you to do the thing that's really uncomfortable. I want you to do the thing that makes you cringe. I want you to do the thing that you think, I'm, you don't, I must be saying something wrong because that can't be. And I don't know what that is for you. But here's a possible example. Who is that really, really weird girl that sits by herself in your Spanish class that nobody ever talks to? Who is that really, really, you know, awkward person that sits alone the whole lunch hour, nobody looks at them, nobody talks to them, because they're just that weird person over there, and you kind of see them, but it's like, whatever, they do their own thing. Who is that? Because in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, the last thing he's, one of the last things he says in the earth is this, to everybody, past, present, future, who would believe and trust in Jesus, he says this, go, go. And a lot of us, we walk through our schools, and we go to class, and we walk to our our houses where our parents don't know Jesus, and we think that doesn't apply to us, and we're silent. So what did Ananias hear, and what do we need to hear tonight? I think it's go. Another thing that's coming up in one week, and if you haven't signed up for it, I encourage you to sign up for it, is a thing called Exposure. This thing called exposure is something where we just go. We go to Las Vegas and we serve the homeless people. We go to Boulder City and we hang out with kids who don't hang out with many people. We go and we paint fences and we do things that we just say, hey, we want to serve you. And we get all these people around Vegas to say, hey, you can do this. And there's what we do as Christians in Las Vegas for two days. We say, we're going to go. And we're going to be Jesus. And we're going to show the practical love of Christ to the people in Las Vegas. And this year to the people of Boulder City. Ananias heard go. Here's the second question I want to ask tonight. Ananias heard go. The second thing is this. What did Paul need? What did Paul need? You got to imagine, okay? Think about this. You are Saul. Paul and Saul. Sorry, I keep interchanging those. Same guy, different. They just like switched his name. It's kind of weird. Um, 
you're Paul, you're Saul. You are on the road to Damascus, and you are it. I mean, you just imagine you are the cream of the crop. You are the person that everyone wants to be around. And when you walk by, people kind of do one of these, like, woo, things, because you have been through all the schooling. You are the man. And then in one instant, you are no longer the man. You are on the ground. You can't see. Your servants are having to pick you up and carry you to the next destination. And you just heard from God, and you have no idea what's going on. And so they lead Paul to this dude named Judas's house. And Judas, he's sitting down on Judas's couch or Judas's kitchen table. And just imagine, you're Paul, and you're just like, dude, I had all these dreams, all these visions. I had a plan for my whole life that I've been raised in. And now here I am, I can't even see, I don't even know what's, who's around me, I don't know where I am, I hear a guy named Judas' name, I don't know what's going on right now. Paul was in desperate need. In that moment, it, it, Paul absolutely needed something. And tonight, the hope in the next few minutes is to explain to every person in the room that we have that same need tonight. Paul was in desperate need of Jesus. In de- like, if Jesus doesn't come through for Paul, Paul's blind for the rest of his life. Paul loses his reputation. Paul is a nobody, from somebody to nobody forever, if Jesus leaves him alone on the road to Damascus, and he's blind. But as this whole thing's happening in verses 10 through 18, God is talking to Paul, saying, listen, A guy named Ananias is going to come. I'm not through with you. A guy named Ananias is going to come and he's going to heal you and you're going to do big things because I want to do them through you. And tonight, whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, you are in desperate need of Jesus. Like every single day, you and I, to take our next breath, to say our next sentence, to blink our eyes, to text on our cell phone, we are in need of Jesus right now or April 10th, in this place. And I don't know if you realize that. I don't know how that lands on everyone in the room, if we really think we need him, or he's just kind of one of those, thanks for the pep talk help. I love the story of Paul coming to faith in Christ. Because God didn't just choose kind of one of those kind of bad guys that have done some bad things. Paul is like the worst of the worst. Paul is the gnarliest dude in that age. And yeah, he's got all the credentials, but as far as the cause of Jesus, Paul is like as bad as it gets. I heard a guy this week explain this, and I think I agree. Is this, this is like Osama bin Laden becoming a Christian and then preaching to the Taliban. Like that's how big this is. This dude's whole goal was to destroy Christians. And here's what I think that means for us tonight. And it's simple, and maybe you've heard it. But tonight, the fact that Paul, who is the worst of the worst, was chosen by God, and his life was wrecked by Jesus, because Jesus had a plan. He said, listen, this isn't what I created you for. I created you for so much more than walking around arresting people who love me and thinking you're all that. I've created you for a purpose to live and walk and move and breathe and have your being in me. I think that's encouraging tonight because I don't think there's any Pauls in the room. Yeah, we've maybe done some junk. And there's some stuff that we fail at. And there's some things that we have struggles with. And man, there's nobody in the room, I would say, that's as, that's as bad as Paul. 
And so I love that God chose Paul because it shows that everybody in the room is covered, can be covered by grace. Everybody in the room is loved by God. That even Paul, who's the worst of the worst, Jesus says, I love you enough to wreck your life, restore it, and change it, and put you on the right path. Third question tonight, and we're going to be finished. First question was, man, what did Ananias hear? He heard go. And for us, that is go. Go into Coronado High School. Go into Late Me Christian Academy. Go into Del Webb. Go and show the practical love of Jesus to the people that walk your halls and brush by your shoulders every single day. And what did Paul need? The same thing we need tonight as Jesus. Every day, moment by moment, Jesus. Here's the last question. What's my response? Listen, there's, we've talked about some stuff the last six weeks. We've, we've, we've kind of blew up this issue that we all struggle with at times, lust and laziness and insecurity and lying. And man, some of you took that and were like, man, I've never known the Bible speaks to that. And then last week we looked at the story of what happens when Jesus wrecks your life. And now we continue that story. And so we sit back six weeks later and we have to ask the question, what is my response? Because everybody in the room, whether you've made, two, you've made one week of this series or this, you know, this is your sixth week and you've been here for the whole time, everybody has a response to what's happening tonight. And that's maybe just mental. Or maybe that's in your notes. You're writing down what your response is. Whatever that is for you, we all have a response. So what is it? What is your response? What is your response to God's call to go? What is your response to the fact that you need Jesus? I'm going to tell a story of a guy you probably have never heard of because before this week, I had never heard of him. And I think it goes back to the year 2000 at the Olympic Games. And there's a guy that was popular for like a day, and it, his name was Eric Musambani. And anyone ever heard of Eric Musambani? Stephen may be the only person in the room. You really have? Oh, just thought it sounded familiar. It's a common last name. Um, Stephen may have heard of him. What he was is he was a swimmer in the Olympics. And so what happened is the Olympic Committee used to go around and they used to try to find underprivileged countries to go say, hey, you know, we're doing the Olympics again and we do it every four years, I think it is. And so uh, we want you to be a part of it if you would like to be a part of it. And so they go to this place called Equatorial Guinea. Okay, anyone ever heard of this on the map or seen it? Okay, sweet. Did like a project on it or something. And uh, so Equatorial Guinea, they go and they say, hey, we want to we invite you to be a part of the Summer Games this year. Would you be down? And this guy named Eric says, yeah, I'll do it. Like, okay, cool, Eric, why don't you be a part of swimming? And Eric's like, okay. The problem was, is Eric had never swam in his life. He had never, he'd never learned to swim because, Eric, you know, in, in Equatorial Guinea, there's not many pools. Like, we have pools every house here. They don't have pools there. They're just not something you do. And so Eric Musambani says, okay, I'm going to be a part of Olympic Games in eight months. Uh Let's start training. And so here's what his training looked like. They had a hotel in, er- in Eric's hometown, and Eric used to go to the hotel three days a week for one hour a day, okay? The people who are com- in, competing in the Olympics are training much more than that, but Eric is training for nine, eight months, three hours a week. That's it. And so first he gets to the pool, and he says, okay, um, 
yeah, let me just learn how to swim. Can we just do the dog paddle thing first? And then so he does that, or maybe it was the kiddie pool. I don't know what he did. But then he moves up. He's like, okay, now I kind of learn how to swim. Then we learn how to swim like I'm supposed to swim, like actually like the over thing. I don't really know how to swim either. Um, I totally dog paddle. But whatever it is, and let me learn how to do the head turn, and then I got to learn how to do the flip tuck thing where I push off the wall, and I got to wear this cap thing. And I don't know how all that goes, but I'm going to learn it in eight months before I go to the Olympics. And so finally he arrives at the Olympics to his first heat. This is a true story. I looked it up this week. It's crazy. And for whatever reason, the way the heats worked out, it was only Eric versus two other guys. And so Eric's like, okay, this is it. I just learned how to swim eight months ago. Um, he gets his little cap on and his little goggles. And so he goes like this, and he's like leaning over. And he's like, okay, hey, nice to meet you. I've never swam more than eight months, so you guys are probably going to beat me. And uh, here we go. And then right before the gun goes off, like that's the sign, like gun goes off, you jump in kind of thing. Right before the gun goes off, the other two guys jump in accidentally and false start. And so Eric's kind of looking around like, hey, am I supposed to jump in here? I don't, I don't really know what's going on here. And 17,000 people are looking around like, wait, what happens now? And so the guy comes over and says, Eric, lucky you, those guys are disqualified. <laughs> and Eric's like, okay. So all I got to do is jump in and, and Go touch that thing and come back, and I advanced in the Olympic Games, and I've only swam for eight months. It's like, that's all you got to do, man. And so Eric gets on this thing, and I watched the YouTube video. It's crazy. Eric gets on this thing, and 17,000 people are cheering his name, and they're saying, go, man. All you got to do is make it. And Eric stands on the edge of the platform, and the gun goes off, and he ain't wasting You know, he's just kind of like, okay, does that mean I go? Okay, sweet. I want to make sure so I don't fall star. And he jumps in. And the dude dog paddles the entire way there. And he doesn't do the flip tuck thing. He touches it and turns around and pushes off of it. And he doesn't look anything like an Olympic swimmer. He finishes like a minute and a half longer than the, the, than like the winning time that year. Crazy. But all Eric Musambani had to do was jump in. All he had to do was jump and just dog paddle his way to the end of the pool and turn around and come back. And tonight, for everybody in the room, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you've never never followed Jesus a day in your life and you don't even know what all that's about, you and I have got to do what Eric Musambani did that day and just jump in. And yeah, you're standing, maybe you're standing at the edge of the pool, and you're like, dude, I don't know about this following Jesus thing. I don't really know anything about it. The pool looks deep, and, and, and the thing looks way too far for me to make, and I don't want to know, I don't know how to live like a Christian, or I don't know how to walk and talk and act like a Christian. I don't really know what all that's for, so I'm just going to go ahead and step back, and I'll just kind of let me go back to Equatorial Guinea and do my thing, because I'm not really ready for this. And tonight, me and every Christian in the room is applauding you saying, just jump in. Just jump in. And the grace of God and, 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 the, and the, the, the love of Jesus, the constant love that we were just singing about, will carry you. And it's not something you've got to figure out how to do on your own. We just got to jump in. I'm going to ask the band to come up tonight. And talking about this jumping in thing, man, for some of you, that's about jumping into a relationship. And you don't know God, and you never, you never thought about being a Christian. And you, for you tonight, the call is jump in to the relationship 
that God designed that you would have in your life. And you don't know what that looks like. And you don't know much about that. You need to jump. For others of you, jumping looks like you jumping into back into a relationship. Man, maybe you accepted Jesus at a camp or maybe at refuge or whatever your life looks like with Jesus. And man, for some of you, it's about jumping back in that relationship and saying, God, I know that this thing, I kind of like got in the pool and then got out and just kind of did my own thing for a while. Man, I want to, I understand your desire, your purpose for this thing is that I would know you and I would walk with you and I would live with you and that this would be a real friendship. Paul's life was wrecked on the road to Damascus. I love this story. Because just imagine, God could have said anything to Paul. Like, this dude had been killing and arresting God's people. Like, I'm a, I'm a dad, and I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm like sinful, but I'm like an like earthly father. And I couldn't imagine not just wreaking havoc on anybody who wanted to arrest or kill or harm Bryce in any way. And it's the same for God, times infinity, that Paul, this one guy, is killing Christians and and, and arresting people that are God's people. And so on that day on the road to Damascus, man, God could have said anything to Paul. God could have said, Paul, I'm done with you, and I'm taking your life because you've taken so many of my children's lives. Paul, you're going to be blind forever. Paul, you are going to have like a third eye or something, and you're going to be like the weird guy. You're going to have leprosy. And what Paul could have said any, or God could have said anything to Paul. But we read in Scripture that God says to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Here's what I think that means. Here's what I think God's heart was behind that. Is this, Saul, you're breaking my heart. You think that you got your life goal down, you're living your deal, and you think that that's good for you, but you don't understand that that is not why I made you. I made you to be in right relationship with me, and I made you for this path, but you want to choose this path, you're breaking my heart. Why? Why are you persecuting me? And for some of us tonight, I think that's our wrong perception of God is we think that God's just kind of out to get us. That we think, man, and this was me. When I was 16, this was me. As I thought, man, God is just waiting for me to make mistakes. I could never measure up to the God thing. So I'm just going to kind of do my own thing because God's just waiting for me. He's got like little pebbles at heaven. He's just going to throw at me every time I make a mistake, every time I mess up. And it wasn't until I realized, and I believe God wrecked my life to realize that God is simply saying, Scott, you're breaking my heart. I created you for something better. I created you for a relationship with me. I created you to walk with me and carry me to school and carry me to your family and carry me with your life and lean on me and have me at all times and just be there. And we're friends and we walk and we live together. See, God created everything, right? We know this. God created the planets. God created the stars. God created the trees and the animals, and God created you and me. 
And God's huge, and God created all the big stuff, but God also created every intricate part of you and I. He knows every hair on your head, every hurt, every worry, every doubt, everything that's ever gone through your mind or ever will go through your mind, Jesus is intimately acquainted with. That's what we learn from the Bible. And God also created you and I with this hole in our heart that only he can fill. But then thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden, this thing called sin entered the world. And it just destroyed everything. Sin gave this huge space, this huge gap, this huge chasm between us and God. And so you and I are born, and I can, I can testify to this with my little son. You and I are born little sinners. Like, we, don't, we can't help it. We're born, and we got this thing in us called sin. And it's naturally just making us drift from God. And it's just naturally making us do our own thing. And I see that. And my little 19-month-old son, he just does his own thing. I never had to tell him. I never had to teach him to do wrong. He just does it. And you and I are the same way, and we grow up, and we get in sixth grade. And some of you eighth grade and ninth grade, and we're seniors. And we just live our lives And all we want to do is find something to fill that void inside of us. And we search for everything. We look at relationships and pleasure. And we look at, you know, as we grow older, sometimes we look at money. And there's all these different things that we try to let fill this gap, this hole in our hearts. And for me, when I was 17 years old, I got to the end of that when I realized there is nothing that can do that. Like, this is a a joke game. There's nothing that can make me feel satisfied. And I believe in that moment, and some some of you have experienced this, is in that moment, Jesus Christ came in and wrecked my life. And he made me realize that he is the only thing that can satisfy. He is the only thing that can fill that void that's in my soul. So tonight, as we talk about a relationship with God. No, that was what you were created for. That was what you, God made you for. But there's this thing called sin that separates you from God. And some of you tonight, man, you've experienced the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. And you've experienced that only he can satisfy. And you've walked in that relationship. You've jumped into that relationship. But some of you haven't. My prayer for you tonight is that you would jump into that relationship. And you don't know what it looks like yet. It might be kind of scary. It might be like looking down and seeing that, that, man, that pool is, this water looks deep, and that pool is really long, and I don't know if I can make it. So we would love to talk to you, talk with you through that. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus in the room tonight, God loves you. And he created you to be in relationship with him. And if you're not, then we're still on that road to Damascus. And the hope is that tonight would be that light shining through. And that you would realize that, man, you were created to be in relationship with God. And anything else that you're trying to fill that void with is never going to satisfy. And if we were talking over coffee and you told me, man, I, I want that. I want that relationship. I would really, really want to spend some time with you and just pray with you and talk with you and kind of let you know what it is that just happened. If you were interested in that relationship, man, what does that mean for you?
And so just as we sing here in a minute, it's not going to be weird. Nobody's going to think you're, you're, you're crazy. And in fact, we're going to be like the 17,000 people cheering on Eric, Moose, and Bonnie. And we're going to say, man, amen. And there's a couple leaders, a few leaders in the back that would love to just pray with you. And love to answer any questions you might have. And love to just connect with you. Because this is a big deal. If you're saying that, man, I want to jump into this relationship. We're excited about that. And we want to walk with you in that. So Jesus, thank you that you did not create us to figure life out on our own. Or to figure life out and try to just get advice from all over the world to try to learn how to get from point A to point B and we grow up and we pass away and that's just life but God you created us to know and be in a relationship with you where you're our friend and God we lean on you and we spend time with you and you live through us God that was what you created us for and that's not that we gotta have a bunch of do's and don'ts and now I gotta stop all these different things in my life God that you just wanna know us and, and, and be in relationship God, we've overcomplicated what it means to know God. God, I pray in the hearts of the people who don't know you tonight that you would simplify it, that you desire, God, to live life in and through them. So Jesus, as we sing, if there's a person in the room that doesn't know you, God, I pray you would overwhelm their heart to jump in God like Eric did just jump in and God will we be able to connect with them and start to walk with them and show them what, what just happened how, what it means to follow Jesus so God we love you tonight we thank you we pray in Jesus name Amen